Hey, welcome back, folks. Welcome to InvestStream. I'm Pankaj, and today we got a special live stream. We're going to be talking with Mitan Sampat and Sonali Topper from uh, TCP Cap, TCP TCAP Investments. I'm sorry. Um, we're going to be talking about angel investing in India and what their thoughts are on the market, how things are changing. Are they going to improve? Are they going to get worse? Uh, so it'll be an interesting conversation coming up soon. All right. Welcome, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sonali, um, Mithen. Sonali, could you give us a quick background of yourself and an introduction for the audience? Um, we want to know a little bit about how you got into angel investing, why you got into angel investing, uh, before we get into some of the more interesting conversation. Right. So firstly, Pankaj, thank you for having me. Um, we are based in Delhi. I'm the promoter of TCAP Investments, which is Tapu Capital. It is the investment arm of our family office. We invest in debt, in equity, in real estate, in mutual funds, and in venture capital as well. Uh, personally, I'm an angel investor too. Being, you know, part of a traditional business family, being having various business interests, we just wanted to add value and sort of be an enabler to other entrepreneurs who wanted to blossom and build their ideas. Um, I felt we could add a lot of value as we've been around the industry for a while. Um, I've invested in over 18 companies, we're LPs on a couple of funds, and we're always looking for exciting new investment opportunities. Cool. Okay. Um, <laughs> You've been angel investing for quite some time, both here in the U.S. and in India. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into angel investing. Sure. Uh, Pankaj, again, thanks for having me and it's good to join you and Sonali for this. So background, um, engineer by training, um, uh, was, was, was sort of working at a, at a company um, in the U.S. called Newstar. And um, basically, as I was starting to think about moving back to India, I thought, you know, a little bit of angel investing would be a good way for me to get to know the market, um, you know, meet some founders, meet some other investors. That's sort of how I got into it. Uh, it was also a bit of a hack on, you know, uh, my, my uh, favorite sort of part of the story is that I, I was thinking about doing an MBA. But then instead, I said, look, uh, really what I want to learn from an MBA school is uh, how to think about business, right? Because I'd always been a product and a tech person. And so, you know, if I if I announce to the to my network that I'm writing checks, uh, smart people will come pitch me their business, and I learn a lot about business. And that's how I started. And then, of course, it, it it would be an investment rather than a than a, than a write off. So that's how I started. Uh, at the moment, um, I um, I lead strategy at Times Internet. I uh, have done a fair degree of angel investing. I think about 15, 16 companies, maybe 20 at the last count. Um, and, um, you know, as part of my day job at Times Internet as well, we think about, um, you know, the, the broad internet landscape in India and the kinds of business models that will be relevant both now and into the future. So we do a lot of, so um, I, I try not to sort of overlap between my personal engine investments and the Times investments, but sometimes they do sort of bleed into each other. But for the most part, um, you know, try and uh, keep things separate. Um, very excited about what's happening in India. 
despite all the slowdown and despite the great recession or whatever this is going to be called. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me. Cool. Well, you touched on it uh, briefly, so I want to kind of continue that thread uh, right then. Um, the Times Internet strategy and thesis and yours, uh, sometimes they do converge, but you try to keep them separate. So can you tell us a little bit about what your thesis is uh, as an angel investor? So uh, look, on, on angel investing, it, the bet is always on the team first, um, and then obviously the market. Right. Of course, you want to pick a large enough market and things like that. But but primarily what I'm looking for is, um, you know, driven founders who sort of got some unique insight on a particular market. And and, and to me, in a way, it's, it's a way of kind of um, being part of that early stage journey with them, helping them think about building the team, building the business, building the company. Um, and, and I also like to try and do it with a few other friends that I trust. Um, so, so for me, it's about, you know, I co-invest typically with Akrit, uh, more recently I've been co-investing with Kunal Shah, um, and, and a few others, right? There's always a cohort of people you sort of, you sort of go to and say, listen, all of us think similarly about, uh, opportunities and we all have different points of view on our, our own skills, right? Yeah. So we think similarly about opportunity, but we have different skill sets and we can kind of bring that to a company, uh, and then kind of go from there. Um, on the Times Internet side, we're thinking very differently, right? Times Internet's goal uh, for any particular platform or any particular company that it chooses to be in or, or business that it chooses to be in is, is, is first it has to have scale, right? A Times Internet today has about 550 million users. So for anything to move the needle for us at that level, um, you know, we need, we need to be aiming for, uh, you know, things of that scale. Secondly, um, we often think much harder and say no to a lot more things because for us, you know, as, as a company, we, we, we need to be um, a bit more cautious about how, um, you know, we kind of live with these companies, right? So it's not just a random experiment. We think about it a lot more um, and we apply ourselves, you know, there's a little bit more rigor as opposed to uh, mm -hmm. on the angel investing side. Cool. Um, Sonali, uh, what's your investment thesis and how do you think about angel investing? I think uh, my, my thesis is fairly simple. We focus on the three C's, which is concept, capability, and culture. It's fairly basic in terms of what are you doing, how are you doing it, and what are you doing to achieve that. Being in the brick and mortar space, our whole focus has always been around profitability and unit economics. So at first, when we looked at companies or as an angel investor, I looked at projections, it took me a long time to understand that what am I funding? Am I just funding your losses? Are you telling me the biggest companies or the biggest PCs just facing large valuations? Is nothing going to be profitable? And of course, I fell prey to that game. Um, I think what's exciting about COVID is that my thesis is actually coming into play now as larger VCs look at unit economics and profitability going forward. It's fairly simple. We look at growth, we look at large market sizes, and like Mathay mentioned, the founding team. I also have a cohort of investors that I like and I'm comfortable investing with. Um, a lot of them are our family members because we each own different businesses as part of the Tapu family group. So it works well for us because we bring our own industry perspective into it. Um, I also think it's really exciting that this thesis is constantly evolving. For us, we're always trying to move into tech, but we probably will never be as good as, say, maybe Methane or Times Internet is at it, and we happily accept that. 
Okay. So um, out of the um, portfolio companies that you have invested in Sonali, uh, how much, how many of them would you say, or what percentage of them would you say are pure tech investments versus um, angel investments into more traditional businesses uh, that do have uh, strong unit economics and aren't going to be perpetually losing money or at least losing money for the next five years? Uh, so I'm just curious what the breakup is between the two. That's an interesting question because, like I mentioned, I did fall prey to this game. So it is about 50-50. Some of them were chasing high valuations and it worked out because we exited at great numbers and great IRRs at the end of the year. Some yeah. of them do have positive unit economics. Um, some of them are in the F&B space. So for us, that's manufacturing. So you're actually creating a product, you're selling a product, and you're working backwards to see what is your cost versus your selling price. If you ask me what the breakup is in tech versus non-tech, that would be straight 70-30. And as okay. we go along, we're evolving to that. 70% being either brick and mortar or manufacturing or something in the consumer space that we know very well. Mm -hmm. um, with tech, we're now foring into artificial intelligence, IoT, a little bit of mixed reality, virtual reality, but they're still big just names for us. Mm. So we, we are adapting pretty well. We have really good professionals on board. And I think so is the Indian landscape because like you mentioned, it was always big in America. And as these buzzwords get bigger and bigger in India, we're going to see really, really good companies coming out of here. Yeah. Are you, um, you know, you, I, I didn't ask you what your family business background is. And does that influence the types of companies that you are interested in investing in? Well, yes and no. Um, yes, because I'll explain to you simply. Uh, you know a TV? What gives it color? Color picture tubes. We manufacture them. They are for the box TVs, not all the new LEDs yeah. and well ABCs. So we made a conscious decision to wind down the process because well, it's China and we could never compete with them. And once we set up the family office for investments, we wanted to use our own knowledge, our own expertise, and of course the value add that all our professionals and everyone that we work with brings onto the table. So do we use this? Of course. And are we learning on the job too? Well, definitely, because as we had to pivot alongside our journey, so does everybody else. Mm. So that's well for us. Makes sense. Mithen, what's, uh, tell me about what's going on. I mean, uh, you know, talking to uh, a lot of folks, I hear different stories about what's been happening over the last two months and, uh, you know, a lot of gloom and doom, um, you know, uh, both here and in India. Uh, I think, you know, I was uh, on a virtual demo day on Friday and, uh, you know, uh, I got a very different perspective from a few of the folks that were on as well um, here in the U.S. saying that, you know, hey, it's business as usual. Um, what are you seeing in India? I mean, at least at the early stage uh, and the angel uh, folks that you are friends with and that are co-investing with, what are, what are people saying and what are you seeing? You know, I think uh, <clears throat> I think we're sort of in the middle of a period of just too much uncertainty, right? So I, I think I find people, most of them are unable to, including myself, unable to put a finger on things with any level of confidence. Um, you know, initially it was like, hey, this this lockdown will be for a couple of weeks. 
would be okay. Things will open up, then we go back to normal. And then you know, kind of make some forecast and you kind of adjust and say, okay, here's my here's what my revenue change will be, here's what my you know impact on cost structure and all would look like. Uh, that gets extended, that further gets extended on and on and on. And so I think we're in this period where um, I think there's gonna be um, you know, what I like to call it, the way I like to think about it is there's, there's tremendous demand shock, right? And so when you have tremendous demand shock, it's very difficult to predict, um, you know, pretty much anything, right? And so I think a few things happen, okay? Um, any business where you have any physical proximity uh, to deliver the service or have to deliver, you know, any part of the experience, I think you'll, you'll see a fairly long delay of, uh, of, of being able to come back. So for example, if I'm a CPG startup, you know, trying to build the next cool little, you know, um, yoga bar or you know a, you know any kind of product in, in that, in that domain. You know, I, I don't know when I'll be able to kind of get my product out in front. Oops, sounds hard. You know, same thing when it comes to a lot of startups um, who 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 have you know, big cost structures. Um, again, I don't think they can easily predict when demand comes back. And so I think the smartest founders out there, the smartest executives out there have have taken, uh, the ones who have taken the most pessimistic scenario, I think are the ones who are gonna survive um, and kind of come out of this. Um, you know, otherwise I think I think there'll be a lot of crash and burn. Uh, and so I think, I think most angel investors, the people that I'm talking to, you know, are, are investing in a few themes, right? Themes that are sort of anti this event. What is anti this event? You know, I'll be at home. I'll have more time, so I'll do more entertainment. I'll do more gaming. I'll do more education, right? I might do self help. I might do yoga at home. I might do sort of you know fitness. You know, all those kinds of things, right? And so, um, I think um, things that sort of benefit from this trend are in fashion. Uh, everything else is too much uncertainty. And the easiest answer, I think, for people is to say, listen. Let's let's connect back in 20 days. Let's connect back in a month, right? Uh, because I can predict a little bit better. Um, you know, you can predict a little bit better. That's when we'll that's when we'll know. And so for now, I just it's easy to just say I don't want to make a decision. Yeah, um, uncertainty is never something that investors like, and there's so much of it these days that, and there's no real incentive to pull the trigger sooner rather than later, right? Because you know everyone's sitting on the sidelines. Um, so why should I be the first one out there uh, taking yep. the risk when no one else is, right? Uh, maybe I can get a better price later. Maybe this company's not going to get anybody else on board. Uh, so that kind of makes sense. Um, so Nali, I'm curious what you're seeing. Is it different from what Mutan is seeing and hearing? Um, so I think one thing I've noticed, and it's interesting because I'm sure the three of us are facing it as well, is that consumer behavior is changing. Right. So, of course, everyone's getting into the food delivery space. But as we sit in lockdown for longer and longer and longer, who really is ordering food or who really is doing the same things that they were doing six weeks ago? And as consumer behavior changes, no one can predict that. I can't, you can't, and neither can my investment banker. So I think it's really interesting to watch that. To be honest, I'm not one for trends because I think they're constantly changing. So if you say, oh, I'm going to invest in ed tech now or like, you know, health tech is the way to go. I, I don't particularly agree with that. But personally, my investments are on hold simply because my liquidity and risk appetite is falling. Um, as you know, the Indian stock market and everywhere else is supremely volatile. 
And as investors, where do we get our larger cash from? It's from the public markets. And once that recovers, we're all going to be back to business. Not to say that we aren't. I think a lot of angel investors are still investing. It just depends, fortunately or unfortunately, whether they were fully invested before we were hit with this. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's happening. Lots of deals are going on. I, I, I see it, you know, being covered all the time. Some new companies raise financing, but I'm following on to what Nupin said. I respond to all my founders who email us saying, hi, our investments are on hold for the quarter, and I hope you understand why. And it's really nice to see that they are in the same position too. So they respond very positively saying, yeah, of course, we understand. We'll connect um, in a few weeks. Cool. Well, um, I want to show a little question that we got here from Nikhil Pala. Nikhil, thanks for joining us. Um, Broadly, what kind of haircut and valuation do you expect going forward? So let's say, like we were talking about earlier, six to 12 months out. And what are the cash situations like in the startups that you've invested in? So, uh, Sonali, uh, we'll continue on with you. And then, Mithen, you want to take over afterwards? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, Nikhil. What kind of haircuts and valuations? So I'm expecting like a, at least a 30% cut. Um, runways. So the companies we've invested in, they're doing a lot of bridge rounds, and I'm participating in some as well. We are focusing mainly on 18 months to make sure that they have enough money in the bank to get there. Once they get there, it's another bridge to cross. So, yeah, I think those would be my numbers. Hitan. Look, I think uh, if you're trying to raise right in the middle of the storm, you're going to get a big haircut, 40-50%. You know, uh, I think it will be tough. I think it depends on a few few dynamics, right? If you have a if you have a high cash burn business, I think you might not even be able to raise money, right? Because, you know, I, I don't think people will, um, you know, really want to back this because again, there's a lot of uncertainty around follow-on capital as well, right? I mean, you've got to think about the macro. You've got to think about what happened to SoftBank. You've got to think about what happened to the WeWork and the, you know, the other IPOs. There's a ripple effect of all that. You've seen the FDI policy in India change, so there's going to be a lot of um, you know, sort of blockers on that front as well. So I think too many variables have changed at once. So high burn businesses, you know, uh, I think likelihood of being able to raise capital is much lower. Um, uh, and, and I think that becomes a challenge. The The other thing is, I think that this this lull period will not last for too long. So to Nikhil, to your question about, you know, what will happen towards the end of the year, I think it's too difficult to predict. Uh, my sense is that at least the companies that are sort of counter to the cycle, um, are, are going to see their valuations hold up, um, but but and, and in fact, some of them might even see the valuations rise because the premium uh, for getting into those companies is also going to be high, right? Which is there aren't going to be that many businesses who are going to benefit from this cycle, and so the ones that are going to benefit, there's going to be a feeding frenzy of sorts uh, to get into those. So uh, I think it's a very case by case thing, but high burn business, forget di- forget discount, you might not even be able to raise. So you know, try to survive is a real is a real uh, recommendation I would have. So if I could add a, a, a few things to this, um, you know, I, it's it's surprising. I haven't seen valuations, and this is specifically in India, drop too much over the last two months. I've seen a couple of deals. Um, I saw one deal that was at the MVP stage, right? Like they have no customers, they have an MVP. Uh, and they're looking at a 10 crore uh, valuation, which I thought was significantly higher than it should be. Um, 
I think deals are taking longer to close, as then you had pointed out before. There, there is still interest. People are going back and forth. In some cases, there is some negotiation on the valuations. Um, I think this is going to get significantly worse uh, over the next couple of months. I think valuations are going to come down. Uh, and I'm talking specifically at pre-Series A investments where angels are the primary investors, not necessarily funds. So like, you know, if a larger fund like a Bloom or a uh, K or somebody else comes in, you know, that changes the dynamics. But if we're talking about uh, rounds where angels are the primary investors, I think the valuations are going to continue coming down, partly because of what Sonali was saying also, right? A lot of angels derive their liquidity from other sources. And if those sources are struggling, they're going to be less likely to write those checks as quickly as they were before. So I think the, uh, the valuations for that particular group of companies that are, you know, raising their first round or maybe even their second round primarily from angels, I think valuations are probably going to come down significantly. Uh, I think valuations have been extremely high for the last two years. Um, so that's another reason why valuations have to come down faster. You know, Sonali mentioned 30%. I think they could be as high as 50% in a lot of cases. Um, and I don't see that changing for a while. I think, you know, any company that I'm talking to, and this is this includes companies here in the US, if they are raising money right now, um, they need to think about 24 plus months of runway. Uh, if they have uh, money in the bank, they need to extend their runway as much as possible. If they have less than 18 months runway, they should kind of rethink what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that the liquidity uh, that angel investors provide and the risk capital they provide is going to be as widespread as it has been over the last couple of years. So, I think there'll be fewer number of startups that get created during this time. I just think that the, the base rate for number of startups getting created will also get cut. I think you're right. But I also think that, you know, the the ones that are starting up, I think a lot of them are going to be thinking very differently than startups that start up a year ago or two years ago did, right? Like, you know, and we've seen this across the board where, you know, both here and in India, where the, a lot of companies won't even start unless they can raise money, right? They, yeah. They'll just say, well, I have, I built an MVP, now give me money, right? Um, yeah. I think that is changing. And at least over here, I'm seeing more people saying, hey, I'm not looking to raise any money. I'm going straight out the door with revenue in mind, and I'm going to build a sustainable business based on revenue. When I raise money, it's going to be purely for scaling this, right? So I'm starting to see more and more of that, at least here. I haven't seen so much of that in India yet, but um, so I, I think you're right. We're going to see fewer startups, but the fewer that we do see uh, opening up the doors, they're you know, a lot of a large percentage of them are not even going to go out and look to raise money because they 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 know that there's going to be uh, a lot of time spent trying to raise money. Instead, they could spend that time trying to bring in customers um, and figure out yeah. their pricing and all of that. So, yeah, um, we got a couple of other questions. Please, Sonali, go ahead. The end goal is just to have a valuation that is justified, right? Don't use revenue multipliers that are not going to hold true in this situation. And I think just focus on resilience, right? That might increase your valuation because what that means today isn't what resilient meant a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, you guys up for another question or you guys have other thoughts you want to share first? Yeah, all right, let's go for another question. 
Uh, Ankit asks, how do you think travel as an industry is going to change due to COVID when a lot of people are saying that it might be the last one to recover? Sonali, you want to start? Well, I definitely think travel as an industry is going to change, but it depends on what change means to you and how long you expect that to happen. Um, if you ask me personally, I'm not comfortable to get on a flight, even to go to Mumbai. And I spend a lot of time there, a lot of um, portfolio company founders there, a lot of funds that we've invested in there. So yes, of course, travel is going to be affected. But I think Mithen started this conversation off on demand. Demand will be there. People will be traveling. It's just how companies react to it and how you look at this situation in terms of your company. I have a I have a very dire view on this. Um, hmm. I think business tra I think 2019 was probably a peak for the next decade. Okay, I I don't think business travel returns to the same clip uh, yep. for a very long time. Um, I don't think I think this will impact airlines. I think this will impact business hotels. Uh, I think this will impact transportation companies on the on the ground. You know, if that much business travel is not happening, I don't think I need that many Ubers and Olas from the Bangalore airport to go to the city or whatever it is, right? Uh, so I think the ripple effects of this are going to be tremendous. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, I, you know, affect too many things. I mean, so last to recover for sure. Um, also, this is one of those industries which is structurally changed um, kind of here on, right? Because literally, I, I don't, I don't see a need to do a lot of my business travel anymore because I can. And you know what's happened? First, it was like, if you tell someone, hey, listen, let's do this over video, they'll be like, dude, you know, you're, you're not serious enough. You're not, you know, you're not willing to come to meet me. Like, you know, you don't have, you're not committed. Now it's like, boss, who wants to go through all this drama, put yourself at risk, your family at risk, and do all this stuff. And then, you know, versus just click a button, everyone's got Zoom or, you know, whatever sort of video conferencing tech your favorite product is you'll just do that so i think i think business travel is forever going to change uh, at least for the you know i think the next five ten years i don't think the demand comes back up and and then everything aligned to that will change right. what do you think about leisure travel i don't think leisure travel will change you don't think i actually think that i think six to nine months from now when when things open up again people will want look People are going to travel less, right? So even even within you know families, right? There will be people, that, you know, the net travel amount will reduce, but then you'll still want to do leisure travel. Now, two things might change within that. You might travel more locally as opposed to trying to take a flight, right? Or you might you might, you might drive more to sort of this, and this happens all over the country, right? Not all over the world, in fact. So I think some of those patterns might shift. I think, of course, look, all of this could change as soon as a vaccine appears. Right or a, or a sustainable cure appears. If those things happen, then life is. In fact, you know, there might even I I I for example think that there might even be excuses people might take because you might say, listen, if you need to travel, if you need to travel somewhere, you'll have to get a vaccine. That'll be your excuse to go get the vaccine. You know, yeah. um, and so um, I think leisure travel will not change as much as uh, business travel, and I think leisure travel will pick up sooner than business travel for sure. Relatively right. speaking. I actually want to add something in here, and it's a question or a topic for all three of us to discuss. To me, travel means intercity, interstate, international, all of it. And as an angel investor, it's very important for me to assess soft skills. 
So my question is actually to the both of you that would you as angel investors invest in a founder over a Zoom call? For me, I'm not there yet. Um, I think soft skills are very important to assess and I can't do it until he's physically across me. The concept, the capability, maybe the culture, yeah, I can get over a conference call. But until, until he's actually sitting across me, I don't know his confidence levels. I don't know if his pitching skills. I don't know where he's manufacturing anything. So what are your views on that? Like, Mithenu, would you invest in me over a Zoom call? I probably would, yeah. And I think I've, I think I've probably done this in the past. I don't think I've met every founder that I've invested in, to be honest. Hmm. Well, I guess because I'm... Of, no, no, I mean, it's a function of... Um, you know, styles and and and, and level of uh, uh, you know sometimes it's again you know it's like if if Akrit is very convinced about an investment or if Kunal or whatever some friend of mine or Seshoeb or Abhishek is very convinced. Then listen, yeah, so listen, you know, if Pankaj says, "Boss, this is a deal you must do. Come on, let's do it." And you know, I'll probably talk to the person on the phone or whatever, see their deck and say, "This looks good. Let's do it." You know, so it's. Um, I think it's, but I think the question you're raising is a very important one, right? Which is, I think this barrier becomes a, a meaningful barrier because people can't get together and that might actually, you know, delay a lot of decisions where, where this is important. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, I think it's a, it's an important question because a lot of people will probably have, you know, um, difficulty kind of just being able to make a choice like this over, over any kind of, Pankaj, what, about, what about your investment? So I, I've done numerous investments uh, without ever meeting the founders. Um, and as Mithin alluded to, a lot of it really depends on how did I get in touch with this founder, right? So social proof matters a lot. Um, you know, Mithin or Rajan or Abhishek or Soeb or, you know, just other people that I've known and worked with and done deals with in the past, uh, say, hey, you really got to meet this founder. This is a really cool thing. Great. I can't meet them because I'm sitting in New York. Uh, okay, let's get on a call, right? Uh, so I've done this numerous times in the past. Uh, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't worked, uh, but that's okay, right? Um, I think that's part of the game that we play is like you, you have to be comfortable with a certain level of risk. Um, and if you're not comfortable with it, that's okay too, right? Uh, you, you build up to it over time. Um, and you, you build up your own confidence. I do think it is important to look a founder in the eyes. So I do prefer at least getting on a video call and seeing them. Um, you know, there have been instances where I've done deals uh, based on multiple phone calls, um, but I do prefer at least looking at the founders and seeing, uh, seeing them and kind of just saying, all right, we can't uh, be in, uh, physical proximity to each other, but at least we can look each other in the eyes virtually, right? Uh, so I think that is important. And as Mithan said, and you said, I think this is also one of those things that is going to uh, affect newer angel investors more than uh, experienced and um, people that have been doing it for 10 years, right? So if you've been doing it for 10 years, you'll adapt far more quickly and your risk tolerances are higher. If you got into angel investing a year or two ago, your risk tolerance is typically going to be lower uh, and you're still learning a lot of the things, you're still forming out a lot of your thesis. So you might be less comfortable doing that today. But if you start seeing that, you know, there are deals that you're seeing 
and other people are doing those deals, and those companies are starting to get successful, a little bit of FOMO might start creeping in as well. But I also feel that this strategy might lead to a lot of herd mentality. Uh, for example, there are only going to be very few companies, at least in the next six months, that are going to be raising funding. Say someone from your cohort or my cohort says, oh, okay, this one's exciting, take it. All of us are going to be jumping at the deal because let's be honest, there are only very few companies and that too limited investors who actually add value to the cap table. What are your views on that? I'm, I'm actually quite against this whole herd mentality concept, which is why I like meeting the term for myself. But going forward, I, I don't know, I guess no one can stop that, right? Ms. you want to take it or you want me to go? I think she's right. I mean, there's there's, there's, there's sometimes, you know, there will be a, a a few companies where, you know, there's just too much excitement um, and they'll be able to raise. But this is one of those things where it's typically a repeat founder or typically a, a person who sort of, you know, has a very strong social signal um, or, or or just a phenomenal early product out there or a crazy demo like Airmeet, for example, recently got, you know, has, has been growing like crazy and it's, it's just a phenomenal product. And so there will be some of these things and, uh, I think it's okay. I mean, you know, one or two things where, you know, if it's overpriced, so be it. It's not a big deal. I'd rather be look. I'd rather be in a slightly overpriced deal where the chances of it succeeding are higher. Oh yeah, than yeah. Not do it, than not do it for, you know. And if there are enough smart people around it, hopefully, you know, there will be some, you know, meaningful outcome. Yeah. With regards to the herd mentality, you know, I I don't really see it so much as herd mentality. You know, there's. Once you start um, investing with other people, you start building a deeper understanding of how that individual thinks. You start uh, appreciating how they help the companies that they invest in. And I think that affects your decision when they send you a company, right? You, 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 you may still pass. You, you, just because, you know, Mithen sends me a deal doesn't mean that I will do it but it does mean that I will look at it very carefully and I will give it the due attention it requires because Mithen sent it to you, to me, right? Because I've known Mithen for years, we've done deals, we've been involved in uh, companies together. So I know how he thinks, I know what he looks for. And if he's done that first level of due diligence, to me, my the number of filters I need to apply to this deal is lower, but I can still pass on the deal because maybe it doesn't fit the thesis that I'm looking at today, right? Maybe it's just not an area that I'm interested in personally, right? As a VC, it's different. Uh, as an individual, it's different, right? So as a VC, I might still do the deal. Very different. Yeah. Um, but as an angel, right, like I try to focus on very specific types of uh, investments. As an angel, uh, I mean, as a, as a, as a VC, my mandate was to be much broader, right? So I invested in companies that I know nothing about, like dating apps, right? Like I don't know anything about dating apps, uh, but it was based on the founders. It was driven by who is introducing me to these founders and what the founders are uh, doing and how capable they are. So I think herd mentality, it, it's not a problem. I really don't think so. And as Mithen said, if you do have herd mentality in a specific type of deal, right, and you just look at who's in that herd, and if that herd is very high quality people, that's not necessarily a bad uh, herd to be a part of. Um, you guys up for any more questions? We got uh, a bunch over here. 
Bhavish, uh, what kind of numbers, visitors, users, revenue would should you be doing before you approach an angel? So I think these numbers have changed drastically in the last two months. These metrics have, right? Um, what you know, it's a very broad question. I think. Um, I think it's a broad question. I think the way I would say it is that um, consumer company different, B two B company different, SaaS company different. Um, I sector think that, different also. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, I think the simple rule of thumb I would have is that, look, um, if you see signs of early product market fit, uh, or signs of sort of initial proof that look, a few customers like what we're doing, they're coming back, they want a little bit more, we're getting good feedback, stuff like that is when I would start approaching, um, you know, uh, potential investors. Um, and I also think sometimes it's it's probably okay to approach investors, potential investors, pre-launch as well, um, um, and 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 even pre-product in what, some cases is probably okay cases? to approach. What cases? Because I'm sure there are founders out there that want to know. Hey, maybe I'm one of those cases. Cases. Yeah. So I think um, I think look if you if you think you've got a unique insight where I think getting the benefit of some specific investor. Uh, before you go out there will benefit your product. I think that's a legitimate reason to reach out before you've hit, you've, or you've gone out or you've hit, or for example, one of those investors has access to a unique channel. So for example, let's say, you know, Sonali has access to a unique channel, you know, through her, through her business that she can get access to, um, you know, not a bad idea to reach out to her before you've actually, you know, built the product or gone out there, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe by working with her and, 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 and stuff, the platform can, can let you, uh, have different economics or different scale or whatnot. So that's one example. Another example could be that, um, you know, it tends to be rare, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're building a product that has probably has an R&D cycle of some sort. Um, and, and there are a few unknowns, but if it works, the, the upside is exponential. And so in those cases as well, you can, you, you, you could, or you can reach out. And I think that a lot of your personal credibility will come in, come come into or your, or your track record and stuff. So let's say, you know, you're building a algorithm for an AI hedge fund, right? It's probably not live because you don't have money to sort of go start playing with it. But, you know, if you've, if you've gotten some, you know, you worked in some quant, you know, quantitative trading company, you've done some work before, you know, a few things, you know, things like that, I would, I wouldn't hesitate. Um, but I think you, it's a very, very subjective and very, very, you know, broad so, question. So Bhavish uh, added an uh, additional follow-up. He's talking specifically about marketplace startups. So marketplaces. Um, yeah, a few, few hundred on both sides. Few, few hundred on both sides. Yeah. yeah and I think that will also defer B2B versus B2C marketplaces also. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, Sonali. No, I, I was saying I can't give you an exact number for this because, like we mentioned, it, it constantly differs. But I think keep your customer acquisition costs low. And like Mithain mentioned, watch your repeat customer rate. And then you should be approaching angels. And then the numbers will be about a hundreds in the, in the thousands on each side, and you're good to go. Cool. We got another question from Madhat. And Mithain, this might be... Uh more of a times-related uh, answer that you might have uh, about content publishing firms, right? Uh, is there an interest in content publishing as uh, there's an increase in traffic and cash positive these days because more people are staying home and reading, right? So what are your thoughts? Yeah. There? 
uh, only a crazy person is going to say no to something that's growing and has cash flow positive. I mean, like, is this a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> you know my Mudit, you know my email. Send me an email. Let's talk. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mitan's ready to do a deal over YouTube. Let's do it. <laughs> Sonali, you, you got anything to add? No, I need to learn from this. <laughs> Family offices aren't this open saying, okay, over YouTube, take it. Yeah. I think I, I'm going to learn from you, Mitan. <laughs> All right. Um, Rajan's got a question about companies um, that are specifically benefiting from COVID-19. Are you evaluating them differently? And I think like, you know, education, uh, health, content, some of the gaming, these uh, were sectors that you mentioned earlier, but then um, are you gonna evaluate these differently? Are you gonna be a little bit more forgiving with the metrics and traction that you're looking for? Or are you gonna be a little bit more um, uh, stringent in the requirements because we know that they are benefiting from COVID and once things start opening up, is that going to change? Are you going to see drop-offs in, uh, as, or significant drop-offs? We will see drop-offs, but will we see significant drop-offs in these metrics? And so uh, we'll start with you since it is probably more content specific. And of course there's health tech uh, also, but, and then Sonali, love to hear your thoughts. You know, I think that um, I, I wouldn't, um, look at them differently as such. I think all the necessary conditions of, um, you know, team market opportunity, burn level, all that kind of stuff remains. I think those things you would still look at. I think what you might <clears throat> sort of consider um, is the fact that, you know, you might look at it faster and you might evaluate it on priority as opposed to kind of, uh, it's one of those questions which I was saying earlier, right? Like, hey, listen, I'll just, no urgency to make a decision on something which is, you know, is counter cyclical anyway. I mean, it's cyclical, it's cyclically down, right? There's no reason, no, no, no hurry to make a decision. This is counter cyclical. So you might sort of step up and say, okay, listen, I'm going to look at it sooner and just move it up in my list of priorities. But everything else is the same. Yeah, no, I agree with Mithain. Um, It's exactly the same, nothing different. The only thing I try and add is probably some predictive analysis to see will your customers rise, will they fall, and that too is predictive, right? So I can only try. Um, I'd also try and see when you would have the highest rise in terms of how you'd benefit in terms of cash flows later. Um, otherwise, the mandate stays, the thesis stays exactly the same. Cool. Before we jump into another question from the audience, I got a question for both of you. Um, we talked a little bit about how individually as angel investors, you guys are thinking about uh, companies and where things are going and, and all that. Um, you know, Sonali, from the family office perspective, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on where things are going and how is the family office uh, going to either pull back or push ahead with uh, investing in startups directly, early stage startups directly, um, uh, or investing in funds, perhaps even just taking some of the risk and pushing it off to uh, to funds and saying, hey, you guys manage this and we don't wanna be bothered with it. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Right, so we're definitely looking at this as a long-term perspective. And when I say long-term perspective, it comes into place. And I think we, we don't know when that's gonna happen. Um, in terms of the family office, all our other investments, 
I wouldn't say on hold, they're slowing down. So what we're doing for the quarter is focusing on our current portfolio companies. New investments are on hold, but we're more than happy to double down on what's happening on our current portfolio. Going forward, I'm actually quite excited to see what happens because we're looking forward to all the mergers and acquisitions that are going to take place. I think this whole conversation has been on reduced valuations, a lot of, I don't know, buyouts that might happen. And that's the game we want to be in. We want to position ourselves where we have liquid cash flows as well as access to the best deal. And I think that's the space that a family office operates in. We have high risk capabilities, we have liquid cash flows. And if you can place that in between the mergers and acquisitions, which is definitely going to happen in the startup space, I think um, we're excited to see our rates of return for the coming years. Cool. Mithen, what are your thoughts from a Times Internet perspective? You know, Times with T Labs, now T Ventures, and kind of very early stage now doing also uh, very late stage uh, investing. I don't, how's Times thinking about this? Um, not very differently than, than before, to be honest. I think that, uh, you know, uh, as I said, I mean, I think a couple of things change, right? One is, I think your ability to be certain about uh, about things is, is is different. So just wait a little bit um, unless there is a very compelling counter cyclical company. Um, outside of that, um, you know, the commitments we've made, we live up to those. Uh, we also preserve cash to 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 sort of um, you know uh, support the companies we're already in because you know revenues are going to be unpredictable as well. So I think for the most part. Um, don't don't grow the portfolio too much unless it's very very compelling. Got it. Okay. Um, now, one more question before we get back to audience questions. We and we talked about this a little bit before, but I want to kind of push both of you on this a little bit. As angel investors. Um, you know, we talked about how there's a lot of uncertainty uh, in the market and we don't really necessarily know where things are going. Um, if you had to predict, and you do have to predict because that's what I'm asking you to do, where do you see things going over the next 12 months? And this is barring uh, wide availability of a vaccine, right? So where do you see, uh, in India specifically, the early stage startup market with regards to funding, number of startups, the total amount being funded, et cetera. Where do you see this stuff going? So, Sonali, uh, you want to start? Yeah, so I can only answer this question based on my portfolio companies and what I'm watching with them. Some are doing extremely well. For example, the ad tech companies have seen their customers rise multifold. Whereas, say, a company in the food delivery space is doing average and something in the alcohol space or the co-working space is absolutely in the dumps. So as you can see, our experiences have been quite... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Alcohol is in the dumps? Yes. We were seeing news reports of mile-long uh, lines outside of uh, liquor stores to get alcohol. Yes, into the now, literally this week, because all alcohol stores were closed in Delhi and in Bombay for the longest time. So that's okay. probably starting now. But um, okay. I think uh, going forward, I'm 
I think all founders are going to be cautious. And if you ask me what I'm doing to help them, it's just keep the morale high. I'm constantly available for calls to, you know, open any doors possible for them. How I see this space panning out in terms of predictive analysis is that there are definitely going to be some really big winners and some really big losers as well. And that entirely depends on your cash runway. So going back to the point we discussed earlier, it is 18 to 24 months. How you how I can ensure that happens is, I don't know, negotiate your rent agreements, try and change your acquisition costs, um, try and, re- of course, reduce salary cuts. Don't particularly lay off people. Um, yeah, I'm excited, but I'm also nervous to see what happens in my own portfolio companies because India has been on lockdown for very long. Our governments are very different from yours, Pankaj. The way yeah. our economies are very different. Um, our reaction times are different. So it's going to take a while to see how we adapt to that. Cool. I think um, I would be very negative. I think that I think the total number of startups starting up will just plummet. Um, I think people will just say, listen, it's too much uncertainty. Uh, no point adding cost. Everyone's runway is going to be stretched. Personal runways are going to be hit. So um, I think even good founders who would have otherwise started will probably delay that decision, wait it out a little bit longer. As I said, I think if there's no vaccine, the demand shock continues for a longer period of time. Um, that's that's bad. Um, I think there'll be labor shortage issues, right? Because our, our top cities are not very livable for, for people who are sort of below a certain you know, financial uh, sort of uh, level. So I don't see them coming back uh, until there is some safety of this. So I, I actually think that, you know, India GDP will probably degrow. Okay, I think there'll be sort of, I think we'll probably go lower than where we were last year. Um, it's, it's, it's uh, I think it's gonna be the first time a lot of people in this generation will see a, see a recession, I don't think, you know. I've never seen one, frankly. You know, what is a recession? When, you know, in what situation does, you know, last year look, you know, lower than this year? Like maybe these are hard things that we've not seen before. And so I think the total number of startups getting funded, uh, in fact, started will just plummet um, significantly, maybe 80, 90%. So um, it's not directly, uh related to what you were saying, but I think uh, it does connect. We've seen a significant number of layoffs at a lot of the unicorns across India. Um, I personally haven't followed uh, too much of the news about uh, earlier stage companies, uh, Series A or earlier. Um, so I'm curious, you know, there's th- it's a two-part question. One, within your own angel portfolios, not necessarily your family office or corporate portfolios, but your uh, angel portfolios. Are you guys talking to founders uh, about cutting uh, staff? Um, are you uh, trying to work with them to kind of keep their staff where it is? And if that means raising a bridge round, trying to help facilitate that. Uh, so that's one part of the question. And the second part of the question is, as we see more knowledge workers being laid off from Swiggy and uh, Uber and so on and so forth, don't you think that a lot of them are going to have a hard time finding jobs immediately and more of them would be inclined to say, look, I can't find a job. I've got some ideas. Let me just start working on them. Right. So 
but then specifically to what your point was about the number of startups being started plummeting, uh, do you think that there's uh, going to be kind of, you know, almost like, you know, this plummet, and then suddenly we're going to see this massive increase in the number of startups being created, not necessarily being funded, but at least being created because of the necessity uh, of the layoffs that is occurring and people saying, hey, you know, I can't get another job. What do I do? So, you know, we'll continue on the thread with you since you, you were talking about this a little bit. So I think uh, I think that's a very interesting question about whether just people with idle time will just build stuff. Um, I think the idea is probably, but I think these will be kind of, uh, um, you know, very sort of uh, few and far between. Okay, I think people will sort of want to get back to work. They will sort of potentially just apply most of their time towards that. I think people will probably be more open to flexible work. I'll do part-time here, part-time there. You know, that kind of mix will change. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm actually, uh, I, I don't have the data for this and I've been looking for it, but you know, I, I actually think that the average families, families runway for burn uh, in India is not very high, right? I think uh, we've become quite a um, uh, consumer economy in terms of just you know, on and burn, on and burn, on and burn. Uh, so, so I don't, so I don't know how um, you know how that, how much that will happen, right? So, I think that's a challenge. I think the second issue, uh, you know, in terms of working with startups and sort of, uh, uh, and I'm also a fan of Aniket, by the way. Hi, Aniket. Um, so uh, I think that I think the issue there is that look, two three of the the, the startups uh, angel that I've angel funded literally caught this right at the beginning, um, even before you know you know lockdown happened and stuff. And I think they all started to cut costs, beginning with you know reducing marketing cost. You know, not taking salary increments for the year, freezing hiring, things of that nature. Uh, I think everyone needs to do it. Whoever's not doing it is making a mistake. That the longer you wait, uh, you know, more exponentially you increase your chances of uh, of mortality uh, at the company. So I think you have to act fast and decisively. Um, I, I think that there's enough um, sort of fear out there in terms of will I be able to land somewhere. Or not, but at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, community efforts now in India around, you know, trying to build databases of people that are laid off, right? Uh, startups and VCs and angel investors, as well as sort of, you know, just look. There are a lot of companies who are just caught in a bad situation, right? I don't think people want to make these choices, but people yeah. are caught in a bad situation. A perfectly good business was planning a certain type, you know, uh, trajectory, and then you know the carpet gets pulled under you. So. I think there's a lot of good people out there, at least that I'm seeing, who are trying to get people placed in the right spots, um, and which I think is a majority of the India India sort of startup uh, world right now, which I didn't think existed two three years ago. So um, absolutely reaching out to people, um, proactively telling them. I mean, look, I'm not the kind of person, at least, that who will sort of proactively call up a guy and try to shake him up and say, "Dude, like, you know, act fast." Um, but you know, people call and say, "Listen, here's, you know, here's what we're seeing across the board. Here's what I'm doing. Here's things for you to consider, um, and these are things you should uh, probably consider." I mean, and you look, I'm, I'm sharing my, you know, what should I say, pessimism. That's what I'm doing, you know, fairly transparently. I, I don't think now is the time to be, you know, giddy and optimistic. Uh, you know, I, I'm generally a very optimistic person, but but right now I'm being very very negative, unfortunately, because I just don't see 
signs of of recovering and um, uh, and and the longer the, the the shutdown runs the domino effects of of this are just i don't think anybody can predict i agree so now no i think nitin covered most of the points pretty well um our portfolio companies aren't particularly laying off people but they're definitely working around the working arrangements so for example you were working i don't know you were on the rolls you're working 9 to 5 um 7 6 days a week now you only do that 3 days a week and you work from home um tons of bridge rounds are happening and i've been wat- watching this space actively i don't know about you methane but a lot of startups and investors are looking at venture debt for these bridge rounds um as a family office it's a space i'm super excited about because it gives us liquidity as well um i hear a lot of startups are looking at that to combat this very laying off problems to enhance their bridge rounds much faster so venture debt is essentially a loan right you don't have to um dilute your equity either with dropping valuations so i think that might help a little bit it's too soon and i'm still exploring the space to see if i don't know it, it helps going forward mm. Cool. Um we got a bunch of questions here. I want to try and zip through these. Uh we are close to time. Uh I'm happy to continue it if you guys are, but I know I want to be cognizant of your time. So, quick uh question and Mithun this might be more for you since uh Times used to run an accelerator program. Love to hear your thoughts about uh where do uh, pre-seed startups go? Um you know on our incubators and accelerators a good option for them today look i think it's a a proposal question i think if if as a company you feel like um you need some kind of inputs some kind of support on aspects of your business then i would go to go to these uh, platforms incubators accelerators cuz cuz you're part of a cohort you hopefully get to meet some smart people who are building with you uh building you know adjacent to you um and and kind of following through the same sort of journey so it it becomes a bit of a cohort and that's that's very helpful so i would do it if you think that you need help on aspects of your business but if you're reasonably kind of clear on what you're building and and where you're building out and and there are different people part of your team who who are able to uh um you know uh, solve for those that i would that i would probably stick with it uh myself i think what's happened though is that you know in the last year or so um a lot of global platforms also a lot of vcs have sort of changed their style of how they're doing this so i think the the value of going through one of these um programs um probably has a good signaling effect and and for that signaling effect i would i would consider it cool okay um next question What are the different ways of market research of your idea in the ideation phase and uh especially considering the lockdown continues. Uh Sonali, uh love to hear your thoughts on this real quick and then Mithun, yeah, I'm sure you've got anything and I'm going to keep it short. I think the best way would be surveys. You have a lot of these platforms that can at least get your information out there and get you answers much quicker. I don't know if you can create the MVP in this time, but at least you can get information on what consumers want. So I think that would be the best way for me to do it since you can't actually meet people or interact or have them taste your product you can do demos of course if you're if you're referring to a tech company um the rest would just be try and collect as much information as you can cool nathan 
No, I think that I think uh, adding to what Sonali just said, I think um, you know, reach out digitally to people. That's the that's the same thing. Um, I don't think uh, much of that has changed. So, you know, use a lot of public data. Use you know surveys, Google Trends, um, you know, lots of third-party information. Just you know, I mean, I found that the best founders are like Google search pros, right? Like, and they they can find like random bits of information on the internet. You know, and uh, I, I think I would do that, unless I mean I don't know how how, how uh, complex a a product you're building, but it all depends on a combination of whether this is available publicly or not. But internet should be uh, the right way to do it. Yep, use the internet. Um, this is a like you are now. What's that? <laughs> I'm saying use the internet like you are now. So yeah, exactly. Um, so this is an interesting question. I don't necessarily uh, understand the second part of it uh, completely, but um, you know, I think the answer to this is yes. For every angel investor, uh, personal uh, risk does figure into any decisions that we make. Um, and you know, even if there is an SPV, you might be able to invest uh, a smaller amount. You know, angel list is a good example of being able to do this. Um, but then I think you have a syndicate on AngelList as well. Um, you know, I do. Um, it's a great way to just write smaller checks and get other people in uh, on those deals as well. So I hope uh, whoever asked this question has gotten their answer. Um, here's one here's more. Um, is the first check the first amount check. VCs write dropping significantly right now? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. No. Okay, we got an okay. emphatic got an no. Emphatic no. <laughs> uh, no, we already uh, saw that, we that one. I think that's it as far as questions go. Yeah, that's about it. Any other points that either of you want to cover real quick? Um, just unit economics, guys. I can't stress that enough. I've I think it's the way to go forward. I think VCs are really going to be looking at that. Um, if you can try and get your costs low, that's the way to go. If you can focus on keeping your employees, which means just try to get the best work out of them from this work from home time period, uh, you, you'll be able to elongate your cash flow, your runway as much. And I think at the end of the day, whether you're an investor, you're a founder, you're part of the network, just keep your morale high. We're all in this together, and at some point, it is going to get better. So hang in there. Cool. Cool. Uh, Mithana, any, uh, parting Mithana, thoughts? any parting thoughts? No, I think thanks for having me. It was a good chat, and uh, hopefully, the audience got some value out of it uh, beyond us sounding like we're distributing gyan, but uh, hopefully, yeah. some value for people who tuned in. And thanks for the questions. Uh, thank you both for joining me. Um, I think it was a really interesting discussion, and uh, I think it shared a lot of interesting thoughts specifically around what you guys are seeing at the ground level right now. Um, there is, uh, was there one more question that you wanted to answer? Um, oh, yeah, there was one more question right here. This one, Mithen, is this a question that you yeah. uh, you wanted to take? Yeah. yeah, I thought it was an interesting question whether there's a bunch of people being opportunistic around COVID. Um, 
I, I would be, um, I would look at this uh, quite actively. I think if there are teams that have the ability to sort of move fast and try to find a solution uh, for a new need that has emerged as a result of COVID, I would be very excited to support it. Um, and I would be very excited to look at it. So Ashish, I think the answer is uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it demonstrates both the level of resourcefulness, um, which is what I think you need in any startup, right? New opportunities come by. Can you can you run around? Can you sort of you know build a widget while you know uh, in in no time and then get it out there? So I, I would be very excited. I would, I would look at this actively, and I can think of many many use cases of of this uh, popping up. Yep, I oh. think the pivot angle is important. Yeah. Sorry, no, but they're saying something. Hmm. No, I, I just went on. I was on mute, so Nali, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I was just saying that I think pivot is really important if you can combine all your resources to focus on a COVID solution. Of course, um, like Mathen said, I see a lot of them. But if you're telling me you're being opportunistic to begin a company just because, I don't know, COVID needs it, I'd definitely be wary of you um, because then you have questions of runway, your concept, your capability, and how long this culture is going to last. Um, but yes, pivot all the way that you can. I think that's very important. Okay. We got one more question from Babish. If you guys have two minutes to answer it. Yeah? Okay. Um, um, Specifically, B2B marketplaces, who are the, some of the best angels and accelerators to approach? It's a very broad question. Pankaj Jain is Are you guys getting some very bad echo? Echo? All right. Um, either of you want to take this, or Pankaj Jain is the best angel investor. I would right. reach out to. Uh, right, right, right. I would start and uh, uh, look. I mean, you know, on, on a serious note, of course, you know, uh, all of us here would be would love to learn more, Bhavesh. But I think, uh, you know, my general my general recommendation is start with your network, people who trust you people you worked with in the past, people who can sort of vouch for you. Start there, build out from there. I think that's a great starting point of saying, listen, my ex-boss or my ex, my colleagues or my team members, whatever, are backing me. Um, that's a very important starting point. And then, you know, just look up some lists. I'm sure there are many lists out there for the top investors. You know, reach out to them. I, I, I don't think that it's very hard these days in India to reach out to people. Uh, I think everyone's receptive uh, through all the digital channels, um, and uh, yeah. But call, but definitely being, yeah. And, and Google, and don't forget Google. Uh, yeah. So, anything to add? Um, you know, before COVID happened, I saw this burst of angel investors in India. So all of a sudden, everyone was just waking up and becoming an angel investor. So, Bhavish, I think it's very important to be picky. Um, I think it's very important to actually assess what best means for you. For me, it means actually adding value. And I tell this to my portfolio companies and random founders that I meet. If you don't think I can add value to your cap table, please, like, let's just end it here. Um, I think it's 
highly important to see what value add they bring to that cap table. So you need to do some research for that. Yeah, I think, you know, just touching on the research point, that's a problem that I've seen a little too often where founders don't do enough research on particular investors. And this is angels as well as VCs. There's so much information out, uh, put out regularly by angels and VCs uh, and founders just don't do enough research to see if what they're doing is a fit for the investor that they're trying to approach and vice versa. Um, so yeah, I, I would emphasize that research bit uh, a lot. Well, folks, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, I'm going to hit both of you up on email to ask you guys for who else you would recommend uh, that we bring on, and are there particular topics that you think that we should uh, we should cover? So I'm going to be trying to bounce back and forth between covering uh, stuff in India as well as here. Um, so I will hit you guys up on that. You don't necessarily have to disconnect. We're just gonna end the stream. And if you guys wanna chat uh, behind the scenes, we can, otherwise we will chat again soon. Thank you so much everyone for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. And we will see you again soon.